every song we grab, it's a different experience and it's always a, an experiment. But sometimes I feel like I'm doing research, like I'm trying to figure out ways of doing something. And that's not necessarily practicing. Then after that comes the practicing of that. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. As always, I am your host, Keith Billick. My hands are very thoroughly and freshly washed. My microphones have been fully sanitized, so this show will be a completely safe listening environment for you. And yes, I'm making jokes about the coronavirus, which of course is not really a funny thing. Uh, It's actually getting a little scary out there, and you don't really need me to tell you about all the precautions and and all that business. But um, I did want to mention a few things about the impact that that is going to have on a lot of my music playing friends and a lot of your music playing friends and a lot of the the bands who you follow and enjoy their music. Even the most talented musicians out there, a lot of whom you've heard from on this podcast, even under the best of conditions, those people still have to really hustle to make a living and to make ends meet. So things like this, once gigs start getting canceled, which is already happening, and especially by its very nature, the types of gigs that are most likely to get canceled, I'm talking bigger festivals, are the ones that the musicians count on for making their money. So uh, there are a lot of artists that are going to be out of a significant portion of their livelihood. And of course, this affects much more than just musicians, but this is a music podcast, so that's what we're going to talk about. And part of what we enjoy about music is people's creativity. And I'm sure that those artists will find creative ways to make the most of whatever their situation is. But I don't know, off the top of my head, just a few ideas of something you can do if you see artists struggling or if you just want to be proactive about supporting everyone out there who relies on touring and live performance for their livelihood consider buying a couple extra CDs from them or perhaps inquire if they do online lessons. Maybe some of them you already know or they advertise that they do online lessons. I expect there's going to be a growing supply and hopefully demand of almost like the pay-per-view model of buying a ticket for like live streaming concerts. That's that's already a model that is out there, but I expect that to pick up. So be on the lookout for that. And if that's anything that you are remotely interested, please consider participating in that. And this will all help all of us weather this storm and uh, hopefully come out of it okay and with our heads above water and can get back to the normal carefree going to concerts like we like we all love. So that's my spiel. The bottom line is really just everyone, please take care of yourself. Take care of your friends and loved ones. Uh, Take all the precautions you need to and do whatever you can to support musicians who are out there and are always struggling, but especially now have a little extra uh, uphill of a climb to, to deal with. Speaking of supporting musicians and music related projects, This podcast that you're listening to right now is completely 
funded by listeners through the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. I highly encourage you to check out that page and learn how you can become a supporter of the show. And like I said, that is the only money that this podcast make is, makes is through uh, the listener support on that site. There are also some cool rewards to for, for me to offer you in exchange for your support there. One of the coolest ones is a custom lesson for each interview that I do on the podcast. There's a guy named Eli Gilbert who has an excellent YouTube channel. He has his own Patreon page. And he is just constantly churning out these really cool banjo lessons with high quality videos, tablature, the whole the whole deal. And uh, he's a great teacher, a great player. Uh, you should check him out. But him and I have a a relationship by which Eli, for every episode, he makes a custom lesson that's available only to those Patreon subscribers. So, uh, for example, last week. Uh, you heard from, or last episode rather, you heard from Clark Wyatt. So Eli published a video and some tablature to for some of the things that Clark talked about. And this week he will do the same and he's going to do that for all of the guests. And as I said, that's only for Patreon subscribers. Another benefit of one of the Patreon rewards is for you to get your personal thanks on one of the podcast episodes so it's the time right now to acknowledge today's uh, Patreon supporters of this episode of the podcast. Today we have two such supporters. The first one is LaVon Hardison, who is a jazz singer in the Pacific Northwest area. So she, she sings jazz, but through the Carolina Chocolate Drops about three years ago, she developed an interest in the banjo. Thought she would just try it out for a couple months, but here she is several years later. And she's still digging it, and she's a fan of the podcast and a Patreon supporter. So, LaVon, thank you so much for your support. Uh, hope to hear you integrate that banjo into your live act if you haven't been doing that already. Uh, the second supporter of today's podcast is Brian Purdy. He enjoys listening to the podcast while he's out uh, riding his bike training for gravel races. Um, I don't usually consider myself to be very have a motivating kind of high energy voice but hey if it's helping brian then i'm really happy to hear it so brian and levon thank you both so much and for everyone else as i mentioned go check out patreon.com slash banjo podcast and learn how you can support the show and keep uh keep this boat afloat Today's guest is Pau Barhau of the band Che Apalache, and if that band name sounds familiar, the fiddler and singer of the group is also a very talented banjo player. His name is Joe Troop, and he was featured back in episode 25, so refer back to that if you want to hear about him. But now we finally have Pau, who is the actual banjo player for Che Apalache, and I just love this band. A lot of you have heard me say that I, I really dig 
international music elements being blended with uh, bluegrass and bluegrass instruments. Well, these guys are at the forefront of making that happen at a really high level. Uh, there's Joe, who is from North Carolina. Pow, as you will hear, is originally from Mexico. And they both live now in Argentina and have two uh, bandmates who are also from there. So it's a, a international combining of, uh, of people and personalities and musical interests. And their most recent album called Rearrange My Heart was nominated for a Grammy produced by Bela Fleck and uh, is just one of my favorites. Um, not only does it have Latin rhythms and bluegrass rhythms, but a lot of Far Eastern elements as well. And it's just a, a really cool project. Along those lines, a big part of what Pow does is interpret other instruments on the banjo. And a lot of times these are instruments that are uh, I've never heard of, and I, I assume a lot of you have probably never heard of either. A lot of uh, very commonly used in Latin American music and other traditional music like that. Um, so I tried as much as possible to give little sound samples every time he would speak of a different type of rhythm or a unique instrument. So hopefully this interview will not only be entertaining, but somewhat educational as well. It definitely was for me. So listen for all those examples. I will try as much as possible to make notes in the show notes of what all these things are that you will be hearing. Feel free to email me if you need any clarification. I've tried to keep track of what sound clips I've I've used. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make that information available if anyone's interested in following up on any of uh, these song samples. Uh, and you can do that. I should probably provide my email address if I'm making that offer. You can email me for that or for any other reason, really. Any feedback about the podcast or suggestions, anything like that, I can be reached at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, find me on all the social medias. I'm pickyfingers on Facebook, banjo underscore podcast on Instagram, and at banjopodcast on Twitter. So make sure you track me down. And make sure you don't miss any show announcements or typically other banjo-related stuff there. So anyway, uh, let's get this show on the road. Really happy to present to you Pau Barjao of Che Apalache. My name is Pau Barjao. I, I was born in Mexico in a small town called Tepoztlan, but I lived until I was 15 in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Buenos Aires and I became a musician in Buenos Aires. I started playing the bass, electric bass. And how I got to the banjo in Buenos Aires is because of Bella Flex music, basically. Picking the bass, I started to listen to Victor Wooden on the oh, internet. Oh, yeah, of course. And then I really liked the Flecktones video, so I, I got a CD. It was the Hidden Land. It's hidden, hidden. or hidden? Hidden, hidden yeah. yeah. Hidden yes. Land. And I just I listened to that CD and I bought a banjo because, I don't know. Oh, that's great. It blew my mind. You didn't play any music before you moved to Argentina? Well, actually, when I was, when I was a kid, I took like a year of cello in a, in a music school, like classical. Yeah. But 
although I do, I would say it helped me a lot with my tempo because it was when I was like 10 years old and uh -huh. we would do this, how do you say, solfeo, counting the, you know? Solfeo, you said? Yeah, yeah, solfeo. Yeah, right. So I think that helped a lot, but I don't remember those years, so yeah. it doesn't count, although it did. <laughs> it, it I'm sure of, it counts. It counts, it yeah. counts. But then I, I, I gave up because... The reason I, I believe I gave up is because they were very strict and I wanted to play with the instrument, but, you know, classical uh, training is very rigid. Yes, exactly. So I, I was getting a little bit uh, annoyed and bored. What? But I did like music and all. And then I became a musician again in my, when I was 19 years old. A friend of mine in high school told me we should make a band and play, you know. And that was in Argentina by in that Argentina, point? In Argentina, yeah. What, what made you move to Argentina? Was your family... My mom's from Argentina. Oh, okay. And my dad is from Mexico. So, Excellent. Yeah. She, she decided to go back with her family, and I, I was 15 at the time when we went with her. Does anybody else in Argentina play banjo? There's a couple of us. Yes, there's a couple of us. So there's been interest in the banjo in Argentina. Like, people like the banjo because it, it gets there because of uh, me, mainstream media, like movies, TV shows, stuff. Yeah. The banjo gets there. But a lot of people don't know, most of the people don't even know the word bluegrass. That's what happened to me. I didn't know the genre as a genre, right. but I had heard uh, it. Uh, I think there's uh, an episode in The Simpsons when they call it uh, musica de persecución, like per persecution music, huh. and they play Foggy Mountain Breakdown. <laughs> They're chasing That's Homer and his dad, and he says, they started chasing us when you put this music, and he stops the bluegrass, and they go... The, yeah, the, a car chase yeah, kind of yeah. thing. That's that's so great. And so it's mostly American yes. media and stuff that, yes. that but, would expose you to it. Yeah, but in I think all throughout the world, but in Latin America, we do consume a lot of American media, movies, Hollywood movies, TV series, everything. Sure, it gets there. And so I have heard the banjo, and peop, there's um, there's banjos on the music stores, even though it's not like a big thing, the banjo in Argentina. Mm -hmm. But you see them and people buy them. And what, was, what didn't used to be a thing in Argentina was somebody that actually played the genre. Yeah. But then Joe Troop moved there like 10 years ago and he was teaching bluegrass. So I had been playing like a year the banjo when I heard of him and I went to have a lesson with him. And he said, okay, you want to play like Vela? And I was trying to pick things by ear. There right. wasn't a lot of information on the internet or tablet. I didn't know how to read a tablature back then. Yeah. Tablature. So he said, you want to pick like that, you have to learn bluegrass because that's the basics of the techniques. Right. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure if I want to play bluegrass. And he <laughs> just started, I think it was Salt Creek or something like that. He just started jamming it. And he's a great banjo player. I was like, yes, that's what I want. Yeah, he's you been know, on the so. podcast before. So you're actually the, yeah. you're the second person from your own band. Right. To be interviewed here, which, which is great. So, yeah, what did you think that he showed you that was important to, to understanding how to get to that goal that you were trying to do? Well, at that time, I didn't have an actual goal. I just wanted to play the banjo, you know. Mm -hmm. And what really blew my mind is, the, is this crazy thing that the banjo has that uh, it feels like mist. The notes are everywhere. And there are little notes, like, ding, 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 ding. Right. They generate this, like, they surround you. Yeah. And I don't, it blows my mind. It's, it's great. It's crazy. So that's, that's what you were going for. You wanted to that's be able to That's how I fell in love that. with the banjo. But then I started 
listening listening to a lot of different traditional genres of music, mm-hmm. uh, world music, and that's kind of what we do in our band. So I love what we do in our band because we grab very traditional stuff from places and we use very traditional stuff to create something that that's new. Did but you... that new thing, it's not coming out from just like, let's do something weird. And But we actually grab things that exist and that are very traditional. And mash them all together. Right. We do some alchemy and new stuff happens. Yeah, That's great. exactly. So have you used your banjo to play a lot of different traditional musics, such as, I don't know, maybe Mexican music or yeah, other? Yeah, I've, I've tried. It's been, a, it's been an exploration. I haven't been playing the banjo for that long. Well, it's been eight years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when, when we started, when I started taking banjo lessons with Joe, I started learning bluegrass, strictly bluegrass. Tunes. Yeah. And I did got to learn uh, a few of them. I, came, I became kind of decent playing bluegrass, but I wouldn't say it's my forte. But then I, I started trying to adapt things from other places. So like the Tilingo Lingo has a harp. The, it's a song we played with Chiapalache, and, and I realized the harp sounds kind of like a banjo in a lot of moments on the okay. song that I, the version that I used to listen to because it's a very traditional. Are you able to demonstrate a little bit of that? Because uh, so, I can't even say yeah. that I'm familiar. What what kind of harp is this? Like it's, a, um, uh, it's kind of like the Paraguayan harp, but it's hmm. so it's the the big one. Okay, yeah, it's similar Got it. to that one. And a couple of arrangements I I took from there. Well, the the beginning one. Yeah. Pretty much, not exactly note by note, but that's pretty much what the harp does. So I was listening to it and I said, I could do that with the banjo. And I just picked it by ear and, yeah. and made an, an, an adaptation from that. So to do, you were asking me before, like, what's the secret to what I do with the band on the banjo? But the, the real thing is that every song we grab, it's a different experience. And it's always mm-hmm. a, an experiment, an experimentation. And to me, it's been quite like that like when I sit with the banjo sometimes I sit to practice but sometimes I feel like I'm doing research like I'm trying to figure out ways of doing something and that's not necessarily practicing then after that comes the practicing of of that yeah I guess that's what strikes me the most is because you're playing banjo you're playing music on the banjo that I don't know if it's ever had banjo right exactly uh, yeah before, before, so you're kind of inventing. That's the experience. The, I get. the way to a do it. A lot of times, we we grab like we try to play a, a chamame, for example. Uh, that's a rhythm from Argentina. Okay. Or a milonga. That's another rhythm from Argentina. And usually not chamame, but milonga sometimes and tango sometimes has fiddle and guitar, of course. Yeah. But they don't they don't have a mandolin or a banjo. 
Yeah. And so in my particular case, also the mandolin, but in the case of the banjo, I don't have anything to grab on, like to say, okay, what would the banjo generally does here? It's blank. So yeah, exactly. A lot of times it's, it's like a very new experience and you just have to listen to the music, listen to what it's telling you and try, try to come up with something that, that makes sense. Do you usually try to listen to a different instrument and play that a on the banjo? Times, yes. Or is a it just times, something new? A lot of times it's, yeah. Like in a chamamep, for example, there's a accordion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what the accordion would be doing, the banjo fits very good for that. Uh, so a lot of times you kind of have something that you say, okay, I could copy this or I could copy that. But in that particular case, the accordion has a very windy sound. And so you kind of have to work with the limitations of, of the instrument and, and adapt it, adapt it to something, something different. Another thing that... Um, there's some rhythms in Argentina that I love about the, that's like, kind of like the same rhythm structure in a lot of genres. Mm -hmm. But if what happens with Argentinian music is that if you change the form, you change the name of the genre. So you could have huh. the same rhythm, but if it's A-A-B-A, it will be called something, and it is A-A-B-B, it will be called something different. Interesting. But the I, rhythm I is that. kind of the same, because it's all based on the dancings. There's dancing steps. Oh, yeah, sure. So if you do it some way, you would have one way of dancing it, and if you do it another way, the dance would change. Okay. So the name of the genre changes. Yeah. But the rhythms are very similar to each other. Interesting. And I've been working on that because there's a lot of uh, rasguido, like how do you say when you strum like a guitar, like a... Yeah, just strumming. Yeah. And that's hard to do on the banjo, but I've been trying to do that because I like the sound of it. And I've been trying to adapt the finger picking to those patterns. Are, are you able to demonstrate any of yes. that? This is really interesting. Yes, I'm really the, curious to hear. I think the hear. hard part of doing that, is the, that strumming particularly, is that you have picks on your fingers. Sure. And I'm not about to take them off because I want to stop strumming and go to picking. Yeah. So I only use the fingers that I don't have picks in. And the other difficulty is the fifth string. That's mm -hmm. gonna bother you if it's not in the chord, mm -hmm. or you have to mute it. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I've been I've been doing like. Um That's very cool. And, yeah, yeah, so you can switch back and forth. Right. And it seems like a an important component of that strumming is that you have that the dead chord um, right. where it stops. So that's one of yeah. the hard things to, to get, like the chop. It's a chop. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And it's very easy to do on a on a uh, guitar with nylon strings, mm -hmm. but it's not so easy to do on the banjo. But right, because you have, have that fifth it. string yes. hanging out, and you need to be <laughs> you need to be careful. And then one thing that I, I liked about that uh, exploration is I've, I've been finding ways to do the... So the, the percussion they would use on this kind of music mm -hmm. that I, I really love, it's uh, called a bombo leguero. just a bass drum okay and they have a, a wooden ring around it so they have the highs on the wooden ring and then very low sound on the center in the center yeah and the rhythm usually goes kind of like uh, and i try to dismember that and bring it to my finger so that i can do the same rhythmic patterns yeah and I got like a oh, how cool. Or a how it was it? And it has the, the repique. So it's fun oh, to that's try so to cool. figure out ways of, of doing that. And I've heard a bit of that on on the album too, where you're uh, um, oh yeah, percussion you're either and banjo. Per doing percussion yeah. or you're I do that a lot because yeah. Or there's another section where I have no idea what you're doing. It's kind of a kind of like a horrible banjo sound. Is is it on a horrible it banjo a, sound? <laughs> yeah, like uh, my regular playing. Are you talking about <laughs> no, no. appropriately horrible. <laughs> I think I think I know what you mean. Uh, it's like a uh, yeah, yeah. So that's just strumming, but with the flat part of the metal pick on the yeah, it's like a trill, right? And it works. You can actually hear the the chord, right? can hear the, the harmony and it has a very fun thing to do that so I'm kind of like traveling with my hand through the from the bridge up and down and the harmonics change but the yeah. chord stays the same but the harmonics kind of like gives like it a flanger some movement. or something like that yeah, yeah exactly like, kind yeah. Of like a flanger. yeah flanger um, so did you come up with most of that just on your own like uh, hear, hearing something that you wanted to recreate. Particularly, I learned it from Joe. Okay, uh, he was he was already doing that. But the places where I put it in our music, it's where I I use that technique, different places. 
But then uh, the percussion part, I, it's an, an investigation I, I do on the banjo because it's a drum head, basically. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying, when we're exploring one genre of music and we feel there's a gap, something's missing, I try to listen to it not as a banjo player, but as a musician. I try to say, okay, what's missing and what can I do with what I have mm -hmm. to add up to the music, to really add up something that's worth putting in there. And one time it was percussion, so I started doing percussion. And then I, start, I started uh, searching for ways of making that percussion better every time. What I think I haven't found yet really good is a very good low sound. Like, uh, mm. that's what I don't have. But on Maria, I... I low, so low as in like the drum? Yeah, like okay. the kick drum or something like that. Got it. Uh, but if you hear a very high sound like this one, then you recognize the low one. Although this is not very low. It doesn't have right. like a boom, boom, you know what I mean? Exactly. But I love the harmonics that you can get out of... If you hit it just right, mm -hmm. it reverberates as an actual uh, percussion instrument. Yeah, this is, this is all really interesting because to most banjo players who I know, doing anything other than the, the bluegrass rolls yeah. um, but that's, feels pretty uncomfortable. And, and it's at, on your album, I think there might only be like one or two songs where you're doing... Yes, an uh, actual um, bluegrassy, really right. bluegrass. Yeah. Which is Which really I love. I love bluegrass, but mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I started playing the bass and my kind of thing was jazz and funk music and stuff like that. I started listening to Flecktones. I listened to a very different kind of banjo playing that has some bluegrass in it, but it's not, it's not bluegrass. It's different things. Right. So when I picked the banjo... Uh, I kind of wanted to do experimental stuff and something like that. I also noticed that you use um, the dropped C tuning a lot, a lot on that album. Yeah. Is, is that kind of what you it's just keep it in? Or? I, I really like that tuning. It's just okay. comfortable for me. I don't know why. Uh, and I've been experimenting with different tunings lately. Okay. But I, I didn't have like, I hadn't have like the, a lot of time to do it, but I, I just learned a new one not long ago. That's how was it? It was B E B E, and B the fifth B E B E fifth string would be an E also. Okay, so it's, it's like just cross tuning, a, but yeah, it's kind of like cross tuning. It's just a big e power chord, and it's a crazy, it's a different feel of the banjo. And so, how do you? Just do that and mess around to see what happens? Yes, pretty or, much, yes. Okay. Yes. And then try to figure out chord shapes. And Can you do that with these strings? Or do you have to put different strings on? No, I could do this with these strings, but... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to right now, but... No, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was just wondering, because that this, sounded like a crazy... is a little bit delicate right now, too. Yeah. It's a big change going to a... Actually, I play one song in... Uh, it's a samba that I was missing the lows. I played in standard tuning, but I was missing the lows on it. It's on B. And okay. now I play it with the fourth string down to a B. Oh, yeah. Very and cool. It and give, it gives me the... When I need the root note, I just go like... Bum, yeah. You know, it adds... Especially because your band doesn't have a bass player. Have a bass it, player. it helps to have a little bit of... You know, so that, as much help as you that can song we, offer. We played uh, live, and uh, it's a duet. I play with Joe. So okay. I have to drive the lows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was missing. And when I started using that tuning, it, it really helped. 
but it's a weird tuning and it doesn't have a lot of use with the like you have a B and it's in B and then you have G B V it's a weird it's a weird sound sounds like yeah I have enough obscure (laughs) I have enough trouble trying to master standard tuning so right yeah uh, I, I don't mess with too many different ones, but I did notice you like that low C quite a bit. I like, yeah, I, I really, I really, I don't know why it just fits with me. When I tried it, uh, it's not drop C actually. The one I use is uh, double C. Oh, it so is. So I raised okay. the, I didn't I raised realize the second that. one also. Yeah. Interesting. And I play, I think I played like three or four songs on our set that seen that tuning. Okay. Yeah, cool. I, I really. So uh, going back a little bit, when you were taking lessons from Joe, how did that turn into the band? I started, we first became like the only straight up bluegrass banjo group in South America, in Argentina. Uh-huh. And that was kind of the idea at the beginning. But then I think it was Joe's idea. He came with the, with the chamame with, that we played. He said, we should do this. We should try to make it Latin mm-hmm. flavorish. And I was happy with the idea because kind of the, I started playing the banjo trying to do fusion stuff and yeah. different stuff. So I was like uh, up for it. And we started figuring out it worked very good. So we tried to add another song to, to that. And suddenly it was a thing. We were doing it. And when did you first start coming to the States to play music? The first time it was 2017. No kidding. And, and what did you think of that? What was your experience like? How was my experience with that? It was it was mind blowing and also very necessary for me as a banjo player because I the only real banjo player I have met so far was Joe, mm-hmm. and he's a great banjo player. But if he's, you want to be one. a great yeah. banjo player, yeah, you have to be you have to know people and you have to you have to listen. I, I had only listened to bluegrass music on YouTube. Uh-huh. Or CDs. Yeah, right. But I had never, ever seen a bluegrass music live, you know? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's just such an interesting, unusual experience. And it's I, a very different experience, yes. Yeah. And we, that year we went to Clifftop and Gaylax. Oh, and wow. It really changed my, vis- my vision on, on everything. How so? Well, it gave me a taste of what it's really like, like the tradition, what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. And the best bluegrass music I've heard and I've seen has been in music festivals. Just the, not on the People stage, jamming, just in yes. the, the parking I, I lot think, or the campground. Yes, yeah. I think it's, it's such a wonderful tradition of... So who do you consider your main influences of, of people who you've heard? Banjo-wise, of course, I would say Bella, he, I started playing the banjo because of, of what he does. And obviously Joe True, because he's been my mentor on the banjo for yeah. quite a long time. I actually was officially his student, like, probably two years I've met him like eight or nine years, mm-hmm. and then we became like picking bodies. But I, even today, I still learn from him. He's a marvelous musician. Yeah, he sure is. Definitely is. And uh, even though I'm not taking lessons with him anymore, I always, <laughs> I'm always learning from him. It's just cheaper now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say so. But then, bluegrass-wise, I started listening to the classics. When I got into bluegrass, I went like. Of course, El Scruggs and uh-huh. J.D. Crow and also Bella, his bluegrass years. Yeah, yeah. And it's been people that I've met. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Deering Banjos, who want you to know that banjo teachers love good times. 
In a recent survey conducted by Deering, over 200 banjo teachers were asked, how likely is it that you would recommend the good time banjo to your students? An overwhelming 85% responded that they would, with the number one reason being that good times are easy to play. Even Good Time Ambassador and 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year Kristen Scott Benson agrees that you will not find a better banjo than this in the price range of the Deering Good Time. With the Good Time banjos, Deering understands the importance of starting out with a banjo that will help not hinder your banjo learning experience, which is why they make sure that each and every Good Time banjo leaves looking great, feeling great, and sounding great. For more information and to see exclusive videos from Good Time Ambassadors Kristen Scott Benson and Pete Wernick, head over to DeeringBanjos.com slash Teachers Love Good Times. Now that I've, I went both years to Bellaflex Banjo Camp and I, I've never been so filled with banjo information in my mind. <laughs> Ever. It's like the greatest banjo players are there. Yeah. yeah. And you get a, the time to be with them and to learn. And I actually have in my, uh, I just went there. I haven't been home since. I have a lot of tabs and I bought some books and I have a lot of things that I didn't have access to all that information before and now I do. Yeah, that's so and great. I met Noam. He's such a great player. Of and course. I of met course. Matthew Davis and I, there's another, this, this guy who's so young, I think he's, 17. I met him at Galax. Uh, G. Rockwell, have you heard of him? I don't think so. He's great, the banjo. He's, he amazes I'll, me. And he's so I'll, have to, I'll have to check that person out, yeah. G? Like just yeah. the letter G? Yes, that's his name. Yes. Okay. I, I'm just always, all the time I get amazed by how great musicians there's in the scene. And yeah. it's not such a big scene. It's just that it's a scene from here. Yes, yes. And I feel very, very, very lucky that I got the chance to be there now and to kind of meet these people yeah. because it wasn't something realistically approachable from Argentina. You know what I mean? But yeah, happened. if you didn't have a reason to go right. or, or people who could introduce you right. to, to those others, it would be really difficult. But my luck changed when I met Joe because mm -hmm. he's from here and he's an actual traditional banjo player. He's been doing that since he was like 15 or sure. so. Yeah. And I've met the, how do you say this? It's so hard sometimes to translate things in my mind. Like, I've, I feel I've been very fortunate and luck. I have a lot of luck. But mm -hmm. I have met that luck with my effort and being up to the challenge, you know? There's some saying relating to the hardest work. Oh, I'm going to screw it up. It just says that people who work the hardest are the luckiest. It just means that it's not really luck. You, you know, you, you have to earn quite a you bit of it. it. And, and what other people think, but you're lucky. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm working really hard for yeah, this. Yeah, but uh, it's a, I think it's, it's both. Sure. Because I know a lot of people that work their butts off. Mm -hmm. And they don't always have has the opportunities that some other people does have. Yeah. And I feel like I have been very fortunate and lucky, but I haven't been like scratching my belly and saying, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all... You're trying to luck. take advantage of it. Of course, yeah. I have to make the best out of it. If, if life gives you an opportunity, the best that you can do is to give your best. Yes. You know? So on the, on the other hand, when you came to the, the States, what were other people's reaction to what you were doing? Well, a lot of raised eyebrows in a good way. because In a good way, you in said? In a good way, yeah. Okay, good. Um, 
Yes, in a good way. A lot of people like what we do uh, mm -hmm. and like what we are, like what we kind of represent. It's a, it's a new thing. It's, there's not a lot of Latin Americans that plays strings instruments right. in a traditional way. So a lot of people like that and a lot of people like our music and what we do, but it is weird and it's different. So it's kind of a surprisingly... A nice surprise for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. they they like their music, and they I I've, I feel like I've been received with a lot of love. Mm -hmm. Although there's some haters because we are kind of um, polemic in some of the things we do. Right, it's just different, and not everybody appreciates things that are different than what a they're used to. A lot of people is very traditionalist. Yep, and they say, uh, but I think both things are great. It's great to keep bluegrass traditional and as it is and as bluegrass mm -hmm. and to play the banjo as Earl played it I think it, that's great it's great to yeah. keep things but it's also great to make new things yeah there, one thing doesn't cancel out the, the other exactly that's a really good point and I think a lot of people get worried about that but there are enough of us banjo players that people can do both and people can do right. whatever they want and we can all enjoy enjoy it together going back to Bela's influence on you a lot of people probably know that he produced your album. Yes. Talk about what that was like. It was a wonderful experience. I, I would say it was a, like a dream come true, but not even that, because as I said, when I was a, I grabbed the banjo in Argentina, I never even thought that would be a possibility. Uh -huh. But it happened. So that's when I say I had a lot of luck. My luck started when I met Joe. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's true. But I, I work. I've been up to the challenge to do something good. And I was amazed that Bella liked our music so much. He liked what we do and he liked what we represent. In one hand, it makes a lot of sense because he has dedicated his life to bring banjo to different musics and to bring different musics to the banjo. Mm -hmm. So I bet he was quite surprised when he heard about an Argentinian band yeah, I'm doing sure he Latin was. grass. But then it wasn't just a kind of silly music. We kind of really work in our music and in what we right. do. So he, he yeah, saw not this a thing that was yeah. very interesting and that it's part of what he has dedicated his life to and he also saw it was good. So it makes sense that, that he would like liked it. But he liked it so much that he offered to produce the album. He offered us. Oh, that's so incredible. If you guys would like to work with me, I would be happy to produce your album. And we were like, what? Yeah, you, <laughs> I was, you don't I was, say no to that. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah. So at, when you're actually in the, the studio and you're playing banjo and Bela is sitting in the other room listening to it yeah. what what's what are you thinking about in that situation well I've I've already told this story a couple of times I tried to f I I went like for like a crisis moment in Argentina where uh, because we made all these plans to record the album it was like a, a couple months from where we were standing and mm -hmm. it's okay I have to practice that was my first yeah. immediate thought I have to be better and I started playing like crazy a lot of hours a day and I realized I wasn't doing any good for me or any better because I wasn't going to be like 10 times better because I would burn my eyebrows playing the banjo all day yeah. you know? yeah. actually quite the opposite it would be I, would, I was getting anxious and nervous and I said okay just putting a lot of pressure is, on yourself yes, you mean this yeah. is not working I said to myself I said I have good arrangements I just have to play them good I know what I'm going to play. I just have to go and if I do it more re in a more relaxed way, relaxed, 
then mm -hmm. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to perform better. And we didn't, we didn't have a lot of time. We had to kind of two weeks to make the album happen. Okay. So when I started to panic, like saying, ah, I have to be better, I said to myself this, and I said, okay, just forget who he is. Just forget who you are. Huh. Just be there in the moment present and try to do it relaxed and you'll give your best. And that's kind of what I did. And it worked? It worked. Yeah, it worked. Good. Uh, I also, Bella was very, very chill and welcoming. Mm -hmm. Like he would make you feel good, like being there recording. Yeah. But he was also strict in a good way, like saying, okay, we have to end. Like today we have to achieve this and we have to. But he wouldn't put uh, more pressure, more pressure, pressure than needed. Yeah. So I felt comfortable. I felt really comfortable, and I think he's a great producer. Uh, I mean, the the end product turned out fantastic. So if you know, yeah, I, I, I love if he had anything to do with it, then he he seemed to do a good job. Yeah. Did he offer you any specific things about your banjo playing or a couple of them? Like yes, and that's another thing I really appreciate of him and and admire that he he did change the music in some mom, in some particular moments, not change mm. it, but he threw ideas, but he wouldn't tell you play this and this and that. Right. He would say you could go more like from this side or from this other side. And um, yes, he helped me with my banjo playing. He said, you could try this role here. And he just showed me a role. And then I grabbed that and I made something different from it and added to a song. Huh. Do you remember what it was? Yes. One, one of the things that I really like that I learned. So it's in a, a new journey. It starts with the fiddle going with the melody and, yeah. and just roll on the backside. But then it changed to a B part and he showed me this one. I think all that he showed me was this. Okay. And it's great. It sounds great. It works perfectly. And I did all the rest. And it keeps going, you know? Yeah, yeah. So just little little hints to make things yeah, more I, efficient or, or work yeah. better for you? Yeah, yeah. And That's cool. I, what I liked about it, it was he, he wouldn't say, play these exact notes. He would just say, maybe this rhythm could work. Maybe you could try doing something different here. Perhaps yeah. don't play that much information right there and let the mandolin uh, take over because it's doing a very pretty phrase or something like that. Uh-huh. And I think that's a great part, uh, that's a huge part of being a great musician. Like being able to see the whole picture and sometimes you just need to move one thing to a side and everything falls into its right place. Yeah, you know? and sometimes that's hard to hear when you're the one playing it. You yes. need somebody like him who and also, yeah, is listening from the exactly, outside. Exactly, yeah. and that's why I try to approach our music not as a banjo player but as a musician. A lot of times uh, we record ourselves in the rehearsals and then you go and you listen to yourself, but I, don't try, I try not to listen to the banjo, I try to listen to the whole thing. And a lot of times I notice maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe instead of a role, I should not do anything even. Huh. Sometimes... So that's a common strategy with recordings that allows you to... 
to make the music better, yourself you have to listen to what the music is asking for. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The album is also really political. You make yeah, a lot that's, of that's statements. That's what I was saying about the haters that we get. Yeah, yeah I figured. It's I figured not that, that much was about the music, but how has I mean. I don't know. I'm just really so, curious to hear how that how that goes for you. For example, the, the the song "The Wall" is a song that we have from the first time we came to the U.S. and I was a bit scared of the how everything yeah. was going to turn out. Right. But I would say that for every person that uh, gets angry at us and says I'm not, never going to buy their album or listen to their music, yeah, at least five people that would just like our music. They actually f like fall in love with us because of what we do. Okay. So we get a lot of support, and we get a lot of people that that really like likes us and likes what we do because of that. Good. And uh, they become hardcore fans, for so to say. And maybe they would just like the music, but because of that message, they they feel it's more important. Mm -hmm. And at least from my personal experience, I've gotten way much more love than hate. But I do know these people is out there yeah. that really don't like what we do. Sometimes <laughs> I see them from stage. We're singing the song or the Dreamer song also. Yes, yes. And you see some faces. You, I've seen from people like crying, being emotional about it, uh -huh. to people uh, crossing their arms and having a very, very angry very face. Very angry, yeah. yeah. I've seen that. We have some walkouts also. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time we sing this song, uh, this, that was a bit... Um, Risky, we sing it at Galax, at the String Old, Old, Fiddlers, Old Fiddlers Convention. Right. And we did it on the band contest. You're not supposed, you're supposed to play a bluegrass song and not, to, you shouldn't play a, an original song. Which one did you play? The Wall. The Wall. We sing the Which wall. is a cappella, right? Yes. Yeah. We fear what some folks have been saying. About Latin Americans, the truth's been misconstrued. There's all kinds of talk about building a wall down along the southern border. Or if such nonsense should come true, then we'll have to knock it down. Cause that idea won't fly so high as a wingless bird in a rock hard sky. So no siree, we won't comply. We're going to stand our ground. To love thy neighbor as thyself is a righteous law to live by. They break us up so they stay strong And ignorantly we're strung along Until we meet our doom Yes, our leaders are so ripe with sin They feed us chance to rope us in But someday soon we'll find, my friends That we're pinned against the wall We came up to the stage with the instruments Because they needed to think we were going to play mm -hmm. bluegrass and we just sing the wall. It was the same day of the Charlottesville massacre. Charlotte? Wow, Charlotte. yeah. Charlottesville, Charlotte. yeah. I, I don't know. We just we were in doubt of if we should do it or not. Is it worth it? Should we do it? But then we heard what happened and we were like, there was some politicians talking on stage that same day. I don't even know about what, but kind of ignoring what had happened. Mm. And we were like, okay, I think it's important to do it. I, I actually think that everything you do is in some way, I wouldn't say political, but it, everything that you do has to mean something. Or not. But if you're living your life doing things that are meaningless and that's your way of doing things, that means something also, even if you don't want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so people, everything people you do, will 
It, it reflects on you. It reflects yeah. on you and it reflects on society in general because we all add up to what we are as a, I don't know, as a society. Yeah. So even if you are like, I don't want to be political, I don't want to get into that, you are being a part of the puzzle. You are being that part of the puzzle who doesn't want to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. but you are a part of it. Wow. So we have, we have some criticism from people who actually agreed with us that say, uh, it's not that I don't agree with your message, but you shouldn't say it on stage because a lot of people come to listen to the music and they don't want to be involved in. Yeah. But I feel like if you have something to say and you also have the opportunity to be heard by a lot of people, then you should say what you, what you think. Even if I don't agree with you, I think you should be saying what you think because everything we do is in a way political. I wouldn't say political because it's not... It's not partidism, what I'm talking about, but it's it a reflects, statement. It's yeah. a statement. It yeah. reflects on society and it reflects on people. And you're not even from the States and all this stuff that we're talking about is, is American politics, but it's an interesting opportunity for somebody like you to, to go play music that is great to listen to. Right. And I think that that gets people to open their ears to what you might have yeah. to say. So it's a but good opportunity. W- the, the politic aspect of what we do it's more socio-political. Mm-hmm. It, it reflects more on social issues that we live everywhere in the world. So if you were to say, uh, let's play a song where we say vote for this or vote for that, or, I wouldn't do that because I don't know about American politics a lot. I don't know. But uh, the wall and the dreamer, they are not about politics. They are about human issues. Right. So the dreamer is humanizing somebody that a lot of people think of as an undocumented immigrant. We start, when Joe presents this song on stage, he always starts saying, this is a song about a friend of mine. And I think that's very important. He might not even realize that he's doing that. He might does, but it's a way of you present people. He's not an undocumented immigrant. He's a human being. He's a friend of somebody. Yeah, I actually know him. Yeah, Yeah, I know what he looks like. Right, and the song is about... Exactly that, about seeing immigrants as what they are. They're human beings. They're mm-hmm. people with their stories, with their lives. And then the wall is also the same. I mean, the wall is a very specific issue about American politics. But what represents, <laughs> what the wall represents is, that, is what we sing about. Mm-hmm. It represents division. It represents we are different from them. It represents all that. And when we say we have to knock it down, what I feel like I'm saying is we have to build bridges and not build walls. You know what I mean? I, I know exactly uh, we what never, you mean. We've never saying let's go and physically uh, dis- uh, throw down the wall. We're never saying that because we couldn't do that and we, we are not like rallying up a, a revolution or anything. It's, it's a message. It's yeah. a mes- message of of unity. The, the lyrics on this, in the song says it a lot of times. It's, to love thy neighbor as yourself. Which and one it, was the other phrase? There's and if you don't, you'll like be pinned of. against the wall. If you do nothing, then you, you yeah. back yourself into a corner right. that you can't maybe get out of or you'll they, they, meet your doom, I think is what you say. They feed us chance to rope us in. That's one of the, the, uh-huh. the phrases in the song. Like They're putting us against each other and what you should do is to realize that we're all in this together. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes the album so so great to listen to and so deep and so important is that you could it's enjoyable just to hear it hear the music but um it has another layer 
of of that message that makes it so but so I, moving. I I also think that um, like going back to this thing that uh, people who agree with us say that we shouldn't do this on stage because they also have told I mean I heard uh, the argument of saying you're gonna lose a lot of audience by mm -hmm. doing that and the truth is that how can I say how can I say this in a way that makes sense. There's like this idea that if you debate things that you disagree with your neighbor, then it's going to be a fight. So you should stay out of politics mm -hmm. or you should. And that goes all the way to the stage, like saying this is not the place for talking about social issues or stuff. But folk music has always been protest music, <laughs> yeah. has always talked about social. Yeah. And today times you hear a lot of music that's very, very lack on content. Mm -hmm. It's all about, uh, oh, my love and the blue sky, and oh, yeah, or maybe... <laughs> boom, 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 Drive, boom, your driving body, my car boom, around, you know? yeah, right. And it's fine, you want to hear that, it makes you happy, it's perfect. But I like when music has a message and it has content. Not just music, but every everything, art. I think it's very important. Even if I disagree with your message, I think it's important that you're saying it. And if you have the chance to be heard, then even better yet. Do you ever feel pressure as, do you ever feel like you are representing that for people and put pressure on yourself to make a good impression for people mm. to try to make that point? Not exactly. I think that if I'm honest as who I am, mm -hmm. then I will make that impression. Or even I might make a bad impression, but... I'm just, I just have to be honest with who I am yeah. and be who I am and do what I really think I should be doing. And then if you think good of me or bad of me, then it's on you. Yeah, yeah. You know. And hopefully people will see you as an individual. That's right. just pow. It's not every Argentinian. Right, or yes. No, not at all. There's a lot of, no. Yeah. So... Let's steer back to the to the banjo. Let's yes. talk about your your instrument itself and what equipment you use and and what preferences you have. My what? instrument, I have a recording king. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, I think I got very lucky with this banjo because banjos are weird. You can have <laughs> the same, yeah, you can have the same brand, the same model, and they can sound totally different. Sure, they can feel totally different. I think I got very lucky with this one, and it suits me. But like right now, it's buzzing a lot everywhere because we've been four months on the tour, yeah. And we've been from literally from El Paso to Alaska and from Maine to Oregon, ah, all the four corners yes. of North America, yeah. And I have my summer clothes and my winter clothes on my luggage. Oh, that's incredible! So the banjo has suffered a little bit on this trip, and for the past week, it's been buzzing. Okay. And I already have my appointment with a luthier to help me with that. Yeah, good. But in general, it sounds pretty good. I love it's a, I love the, the range it has from soft and round. Okay. I think it works for both, uh, for both ends. It has a very good... Yeah, and as we already talked about for your band, you really need it to do as many things as yes. possible so yes, finding, finding that right one do you have a favorite like bridge or picks or strings or anything like that yeah strings i'm using a uh, ghs mm -hmm. and i'm using nine point uh, nine and a half the jd crow the jd crows one. okay I, I feel very comfortable with them i try uh, thinner ones and they wasn't doing it for me and i try uh, thicker ones and also didn't and those strings, uh, I like them very much. And then the peaks, 
I think these are uh, nationals. And okay. for the thumb, I always had troubles with the plastic picks because, I don't know, being like my fingers surrounded with plastic started to sweat and then the picks started to slip. They spin around. And yeah. they break. Or, I don't know, I, I never feel comfortable. Then the first time I came to the U.S., also in Argentina, you don't get a lot of different brands and different picks. Yeah, I bet. So you kind of just have to get your hands on whatever you can. And the first time I came to the States, I bought, I bought every, like a sample of every pick, different pick I saw. Oh. And this is a pro pick. That's half plastic and half metal right. for the thumb. And, and the- it really helped me. I, I think the tone is a little bit different because the plastic part is a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. But the metal part around my finger is great because it doesn't hurt my skin n- nor it doesn't sleep also. Right, it has the little uh, lip yeah. uh, on the edge that, that and, holds it in place. Yeah, and you can also yeah. uh, adapt it because it's metal. So I bend it in order to fit my f- finger. Yeah. And this thing I was saying about the rhythm of the, of the bombo that I do, a lot of times they would do double... crazy so the basic is and i i've been working on that um i kind of tried to do it since i started playing the banjo not knowing not having even met joe or anything and it doesn't work uh-huh. but i was trying I, I when i started playing the banjo i tried to play with four picks with the, oh, with the one on interesting. the ring finger did you, and you I didn't, didn't know that you weren't know. supposed to do no, that? No, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't know some people are doing, right, doing it. Right, uh, I just, I just said, okay, one extra <laughs> finger is going to be better, I, I guess. Yeah. But then when I met Joe, he told me you should learn three finger, like the, the basics and stuff. And then you can see if you want to add up. Uh-huh. And I, now I, I wouldn't because I'm so used to using as an anchorage point my oh, finger right. i just got used to this way of playing but i i did start trying to play uh, however i could and one of the things i was trying to do was the double thumb because also victor wooden does that on the bass oh yeah so i was yeah. trying to emulate those kind of things and it, it wasn't working but then with this pick it works oh and it holds in place that yeah but i i don't use it as a very actually i i also kind of grab the pick and use it as as a as a Flat pick. Okay. That's something I do a lot of times. Okay. So what, pa- just to tell the listeners, what, what Pau is doing is he's, he's using his index to pinch the blade of the thumb pick, almost as if you would grasp a, a flat pick in between those fingers. So that's what you do instead of, like where most people would do a single string... Right. pattern sometimes you it do works. it like that but no, I, I also do the single string do both but okay. sometimes uh, this just works mm-hmm. when I want I started playing bass and I also play some guitar electric rock music and stuff so sometimes I just feel more comfortable using it as a pick yeah. and it changed the tone I, I think that's one, a very important aspect of, of a good musician is paying attention to the tone that you're doing I also palm mute a lot on the banjo. Okay. So. That's a different sound from. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, especially if a lot of these patterns that you're emulating are from these like rhythm instruments that helps you be so much more rhythm. That's really cool. And sometimes I've I've been working like on a on a tango piece that I learned that I really uh, like. It's a bit hard for me to play it, but I, I love it. And there's some moments where the guitars on the version that I learned they kind of like answer to each other mm-hmm. and they they sound different. The tones sound different, and so. Sometimes I would pick one of the parts and then the next one I would pick it differently mm-hmm. so that it feels like it's a different instrument. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that that really... So you call and response, but with yourself. Right. Yeah, that's so, so cool. it feels like it's a different instrument. Yeah, that's so great. I need to let you go to your show, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. But um, real quick, tell people where to find you, like online, your website or anything like that, or the band's website. I don't have a... I, have a personal website that I did a couple of years ago, a Facebook page. It's not a website, sorry. It's a Facebook page, but I don't use it. Okay. But if you search for me by my name, you'll find me on Facebook and mm-hmm. on Instagram also. Great. And otherwise in the band's Facebook. That's also a good place for... And what's the band's website? Uh, Cheapalache.com. All right. That's the hey, it was really great talking to you. I could, uh, I could have talked a lot more, so I'm... I'm a little disappointed to have you go, but I'm looking forward yeah, to, to seeing the show. I really Thank love you. what you guys do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good that we get this moment to squeeze in. Yeah, thanks for making yes. it work out. I really appreciate your, no, your it's, time. No, it's been great. Thank you for, for coming. Thanks. Yeah. Today is a special day because it's the last day, it's the last gig of a four-month tour. <laughs> That's so me. great. So yeah. That must feel wonderful. It, or it, it will wonderful. soon. Yes. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. there you have it folks thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the picky fingers banjo podcast featuring the grammy nominated band che apalache's banjo player pao barhau as i mentioned i had a lot of sound clips and i apologize so much i'm gonna slaughter these names but i'll I'll do my best i promise uh in order of the sound clip appearance you heard maria performed by che apalache El Tilingo Lingo by Grupo Chalchihuecan, uh, Kilometro Once by Transito Cocomarola, uh, and then was a YouTube demonstration by Kiko Freitas of the Bombo Liguera drum. So that, that video is just titled Bombo Liguero by Kiko Freitas. Uh, then it was 24 de Marzo by Che Apalache. And then finally, The Wall performed by Che Apalache. So I hope you enjoyed all those. Hope you learned a little something. I definitely did. Special thanks to LaVon Hardison and Brian Purdy for being this episode's Patreon sponsors. Once again, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a sponsor yourself and to be able to take advantage of those custom lessons being done by Eli Gilbert. You'll get a custom tip for every uh, special guest, and that is only for uh, patrons of this podcast. You can email the show with all of your questions, comments, concerns, or anything like that. Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and like and follow me on all the social medias and all the podcast things. I think you know what to do. Share away the links to the episodes. Uh, spreading the word is, a, is another great way to help support what I do here. Again, hope you all stay safe. These are crazy times that we're all having. 
but at least we have our banjos and our podcasts to keep us company as we are in uh, whatever level of quarantine we find ourselves in. So yeah, please stay safe, take care of each other, and hope to see you next time for the next episode. Cheers.